0: Well, good morning. Thanks for coming and worshiping. It's good. It's always a nice thing. Remember, you just don't have to worship just here on Sunday morning. You all know that, right? You can worship all week long and you don't need music. So it's such a great thing. It's such a vital thing. Um, As one book on my shelf says, worship is the ultimate priority. Um, So even that we're going to worship God in the Word now, as we look at it and, and such. But the title of the sermon today is Losing It in Everyday Life. Does anybody ever lose it in everyday life? Thank you. Can I just, I mean, and usually we, now again, depending on what your thing is, when you say, when you hear that, you've already put a word with it. It could be anger, fear, anxiety, loneliness, something. It, it can be, because that's what you, you know, usually it says, you know, man, I, I am so stressed, meaning anxiety, I am so stressed, I'm losing it today. Or, you know what, I am so mad at my family, I'm, I'm so mad I'm losing, you know. So we, losing it means we're not in our place. And it's funny because we're going to look at that today, and we'll first kind of try to make ourselves feel bad. No, I don't know. But uh, but we'll try to make ourselves say, you know, wait, this isn't really happening In in everyday life and then we're going to look at our theology and we're going to look to see that sometimes our theology can get too big that it doesn't work out in real life and then we're going to bring it home to see what Jesus's response to us is when we lose it so that's where we're going we'll see if we get there but we'll need the spirit's help so let's just one more time let's just pray Now, just do me a favor. Just quiet your heart. And we just talked about the name of Jesus can chase away darkness and fear. If there's anything you feel bubbling up inside of you right now that would keep you from experiencing the Lord, just hold it up to Him. Ask Him to hold it, whatever it might be. Lord, we present ourselves into your presence that we might experience your truth in such a way that it works out in real life, which is your whole goal for an abundant life. And to that end, Lord, we look to you to do what you will. Spirit, work in our lives. Rewrite his words. And the the character and name of Jesus into our very beings. In your name, amen. All right, losing in everyday life. Now, we all know we're not supposed to, right? I mean, we're at least that. I mean, like Paul says in Philippians, these two, and these are great verses. I'm not trying, but I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned to be content, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm not real content, and and earlier in the book, he says, do all things without grumbling, or disputing, or complaining, or it's like, eh. now, if you've really been a Christian for a while, you know how to grumble, and complain, and do it spiritually, you can just, you know, you know, you can say it's not God's will and therefore I can, you know, grumble all I want or I can complain because somebody's not exhibiting Christ in their life or something and they're making my life miserable. But bottom line is we complain, grumble, dispute. We do that. And we haven't learned to be content. And sometimes we look at those verses and like, okay, I'm just going to keep trying harder. I'm just going to keep trying harder. And that's what we do. And God sees that. He sees our heart. Um, But then things happen, don't they? Something happens. And we're not talking big things. I want to talk about little things. The losing it of everyday life. Okay, so uh, this is kind of being generated from this book here. I don't know if anybody's reading it. Liturgy of the Ordinary by um, Tish Harrison Warren. She's a, I think, I want to say she's an Anglican minister, priest, whatever they are in the Anglican things. but I, this was won the Christianity Day Book of the Year. So I thought, you know what? It's, it's kind of an unusual title for to win the Book of the Year for Christianity Day. I thought, I'm going to read it. And I've started to read it, and I got to tell you, I'm only into like three or four chapters, but already it's, it's made me look at my ordinary life in a little different way, as, as an act of worship and our an act of kind of uh, uh, seeing things. And my, probably my favorite chapter so far, is her losing her keys. Losing her keys, and how she met God in losing her keys. And I gotta tell you, if I I wanna talk, I know we got different people here. We got people like Marcy and I, who are such a mess that we lose, we're gonna get to the end of our life and say, oh my gosh, Mike and Marcy lost seven years of their life looking for things. I mean, we are just, in fact, I should show you this. I'm going to show you this, because we are such a mess. We had to buy this new little app that's called a Tile app. Do you know about these things? They work with your smartphone, and, they, and we use this thing like, we should be like the poster children for this thing, because we are, I have one in my wallet now. I mean, I, I'm just like, a, and I'm trying to overcome this thing, because I just get so stressed when losing my keys. But I know there's people here that never lose anything, because you're like incredibly disciplined, and control, I mean, or very rarely, and I, I don't know who you are, but, you know, that, that can be an issue too, I want you to know, where you have everything so ordered, but I want you to be able to gloat about the rest of us who lose things, so I don't want to ruin your gloating, but just know losing things has, does something to us, so in her, and I actually just wanted you to see this, because I, I just so appreciated this, She goes over her stages of searching for lost objects. And I want to see if you see yourself, because I see myself in here. I actually could add probably one or two in here, but let's just look at her stages. Stage one logic, and I'm just going to read this. Stage one logic. I retrace my steps. I look in the places that make sense. I breathe. I try to remain calm and rational. This is not that big of a deal they'll turn up. And I know I move really quick here. Self-condemnation. As I make my way through each room, scanning shelves and surfaces, I begin to self-flagellate under my breath. I'm such an idiot. Where did I put those keys? Why am I such an idiot? Now, that's one of my stages I, like, camp out in. In fact, I don't think I ever leave that stage to the rest of the stages. All right, stage three, vexation, being vexed. I get frustrated, I curse. Each second that passes leaves me slightly angrier. I switch back and forth between blaming myself and blaming others. Did my husband take them? I text him, no help there. God must know where my keys are. Why isn't he helping here? I'm having a mild theological crisis over a two-inch piece of metal. Anybody else get there? Now, at that stage, by the way, at some point, I'm, I don't know about you, but I have this, you really find out what I really believe, because all of a sudden I start, like, confessing any sin I can think of. My family's sin, my generational sin, your sin, the nation's sin. I just, I think, you know, maybe I'll unlock something here with God. It doesn't seem to ever work. All right, stage four. Oops, well, we got two of them. Uh, Desperation. I start looking everywhere, she says, even places that don't make sense. I'm rummaging through random drawers and looking under beds and checking the pants pockets that I've already checked three times, grumbling. I check the time. It's been nine minutes. (laughs) Stage five, last ditch. I stop and pray. Okay, breathe, I tell myself, that I'm being ridiculous, that I'm overreacting. I quickly ask God for a restoration of perspective. I remember that a Catholic friend once told me to ask St. Anthony to pray for us when we've lost something. So for good measure, I murmur as I check my sock drawer, Uh, St. Anthony, not sure how this works, but if you can hear me, can you please pray for me to find my keys? Despair is the last one. Despair. I give up and plop on the couch. I will never find my keys. The cause is hopeless. I am hopeless. I will be trapped here until the end of time or until we shell out the money to replace them. Outside the window, by my locked car, are naked trees and hopping sparrows. But I will not notice. Everything is worthless. The morning is ruined, stupid keys, stupid me, stupid planet, stupid universe. (laughs) I got to tell you, I hate to say this, but that just like was way too exposing to me. (laughs) It was really exposing. And then so let's just know. So again, I have moments. I mean, lost keys or other things. I'll tell you about one in in a second. But then, then we lay over our verse again. Well, this must mean for big things. <laughs> because these little things don't really make a difference. The, 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 these things fall under these things. And these are just things that are just picadillos or whatever they're called, little things. But it's not. I'm going to give you two more quotes from this chapter, or I think two or three, I can't remember. But she calls it her apocalypse. And see, it says, Apocalypse literally means an unveiling or uncovering. In my anger, grumbling, self-berating, cursing, doubt, and despair, I glimpse for a few minutes how tightly I cling to control and how little control I actually have. And in the absence of control, feeling stuck and stressed, those parts of me that I prefer to keep hidden were momentarily unveiled. Anybody, do you get that? Is it amazing what you really believe comes out? what you really think, my bad theology, that somehow I'll unlock a key if I confess the right sin and he'll find my keys, you know, that he's holding. I'm like, no, <laughs> you got to confess that one. You know, I mean, that's how I think. I literally think he's like oh, like putting it behind his back, you know, and I'm like, oh, come on, you know, you gotta, i got to have something here. What, what do you want from me? And it's like, where is that? What, what bad theology is that? And then the self-condemnation, if you ever get there, I mean, you can be, anybody else get kind of hard on themselves? I mean, just really, it's like, is that what I, that's what I really believe. I love this quote. And yet, here is where I find myself on an ordinary day, and here in my petty anger and irritation is where the Savior uh, deans, deans, deans to meet me, which means step down, lower himself to meet me. What does that mean? I don't feel like I'm very presentable at that point. Do you? I don't feel real connected. I guess when I find him, I'm kind of rejoiceful, but I'm a little embarrassed, and I'm not like, I don't feel real clinging to God at that moment. I, I don't feel, feel a little embarrassed. Feel stupid for calling myself stupid. Angry for being so angry. You know, it's like, I just, and yet, this is where, the Savior steps down from his holiness and righteousness, and he wants to meet you and me in that place. Here's the question that I think we could ask. Has my theology grown too big so it does not touch my everyday life? You say, I'm not a theologian. We're all theologians. Everybody's, I mean, the whole world's theologians in one sense because we all have a belief in a God or Even atheism is a form of religion, as logic will tell us. But can theology grow too big that it just doesn't touch my everyday life? It does for me. Let's look at this familiar passage. In the series, this is in the middle of lost sheep and then Two prodigal sons, and then we have this parable. Jesus is trying to get across a point about how important we are to him and how even our lostness doesn't keep him. And he does a ridiculous thing here, like something that was somewhat scandalous at the time. He compared himself to a woman. again, we don't think anything really big, but at that time, no man would ever do that. So this is a real unusual thing that he's doing here as he is basically saying, this is me. And let me read it. Oh, or what woman, having 10 silver coins, probably her savings, um, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? There's a little bit here of, she's losing it. In a sense, I mean, she is really stressed. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, you know in this story, Jesus is saying, I'm that woman, and Mike, or you, are the lost coin, right? I mean, do we all get that? Now, in seminary, we used to say, this passage is just dealing with salvation, and you know what, it is dealing with salvation, right? I mean, it is. How could you say it's not? And yet, is that all it says? Has my theology gotten so big that I just have to read that once and I can move on from it? And that's the question I would ask. I mean, is is my theology so big that that one really doesn't touch my everyday life? That's really nice. Thank you, Lord, for finding me all those years ago. Me, the lost coin. Thank you, and you can say the same thing. Was that it? Is that all that means? Is that then job's done? I've been found. I'm curious. You know, there's this is an interesting little passage. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As I re- wait. So wait, uh, my, my salvation, that point when I, by faith, received Christ's payment for my sins and made him Lord of my life, have we all done that? If not, come see me or come see an elder. Come see somebody if you have not done that. But I'm, so, I'm not supposed to keep walking like that? That that one-time experience isn't a one-time experience? That there's somehow it's supposed to work its way out in my life on a regular basis? Could it be? How did I come to him? Well, we all know by faith, right? But faith in what? At some point, if your salvation, and again, I know it's kind of, for some of us, it was a gradual process. For some, it was a whiz, bang, bam. For some, you know. But can I tell you, at some point, you had to recognize that you've sinned, right? Right? at some point, it really, what am I saved from? Well, I got to be saved from something. It's not, you know, poor decisions, or, you know, I was really unlucky in life, and I need some, you know, it's, he's Savior. And so I came to him, and you came to him in your sins, saying, I can't do anything about him. I've sinned against the holy God. I've sinned. Now, we didn't, we know a lot, probably if you've been walked with Christ, you know a lot more now, right? You know how awful sin is, but at the time, you just got to know, yeah, I've sinned against God. Yeah, I get that. And then we cry out and say, however you did it, you said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And maybe you even added, Lord, come be master and Lord of my life. Maybe you did that later, but you, you were implying that even at the point of salvation. Now, if I was to translate that into everyday life, what does that look like? What would that look like if I was to come to God in that way? Can I tell you one of the beauties of everyday life and losing it on everyday life? A 15-minute frantic search for keys. How about this i'll tell you one that i I read this after i read or after i had a situation last weekend now last weekend two of my boys and i went we went up to cleveland saw a Cavs game and watched them just be terrible but it was a blast you know we had fun meals and then heaven forbid i know you guys are gonna all judge me on this but uh Sunday morning, we went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, easy, because you've all done sinful things, too, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, so, but that was all fine and good, had a great time. But can I tell you what happened? I was charged with getting our hotel room. So I found this killer hotel room downtown, like, just a short walk to the things we wanted to do. And I was so excited, so then I texted my boys. They got back to me, you know, some point when I saw it, quite a few hours later, I said, oh good, I'll go make that reservation. They're all for it. So I made the reservations and I'm walking the dog on Saturday morning. We're ready, we're gonna leave in a few hours. And my son, JB, calls me. He's an accountant. He notices details, unlike his father. And he says, y- you know you made the reservation for the 10th, not the 3rd, right? It's supposed to be the 3rd, Dad. We're spending the night the 3rd. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, I know what happened. When I went back, I went back into this, whatever site it was, one of those sites that checks a bunch of sites, and then I, I, it came up, and, but it defaults to a week later. or like, So it defaulted to the 10th, not the 3rd, because I had entered the 3rd in the last time. But now it's been 4 or 5 days, and now there's no deals and now there's no real room and not where we want it where I want to be in downtown where we can just walk to all these things and park the now you say that's really not a big deal we ended up finding one a little farther I was fine but at the time I did not react real positively <laughs> um would would j- the word be despondent would that be it So much so that I caused my wife a minor crisis. (laughs) In, In the whole thing, I was a mess. I was so mad at myself and that I had ruined. I felt like I had just dropped the ball. You know, it's like, oh, you don't pay attention to details. You. There was no consoling me. And it's a silly thing. I mean, JB noticed when I was walking the dog that I, would, I like totally overreacted. He seems to me this really nice text. Dad, it's gonna be okay. You know, it's like his mother died, you know, or something like That's gonna be okay. You know, we'll get through this. And it's like, oh okay, okay, okay. So I did finally, it took a while, but I finally got myself together. And so therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus Lord, Mike, so walk in him. Hmm. Was there a point in there that I could have come in all my despair, in my lies that I believed that were bubbling up, my sinful anger at myself, which is sin? Could I have come to him like I did at salvation and say, Lord, I'm a mess and there's nothing I can do about it? There's nothing I can do. Because I'm just going to keep going down this path. Rescue me. Help me. What if I would have thought of the picture? That Jesus, get this picture, that I'm the lost coin. That somehow, I purposely popped myself out of the piggy bank and rolled under some dusty, gross corner of the kitchen where we never get to unless guests are coming. What if Jesus was willing because he knew I was was absent from him? What if that picture is meant not just for salvation, but that Jesus is willing to get on his hands and knees and climb in the dirtiest places where I am? And what if he is willing to grab me from under the stove, the side of the stove that's all gross and grungy because things fall in there? And what if he's willing to go in there and get himself dirty again for my sake, to pull me out? to wipe the grease and grime and stuff off of me. And then when I'm restored to him, when I see who he is, when I recognize what he's done, he's not only excited for me, he turns around and says, Spirit, Father, angels, he's back. He's back. Could he do that? I believe he does let me just tell you a little secret that I'm doing, and I, and I don't always do it well, and I didn't do it on Saturday, and I struggle at, with this, but if I will just slow down, I don't clean myself up anymore before I come to God. You know, I went forward when I was a kid to publicly announce my, my decision to follow Christ to an old hymn called Just As I Am, Just As I Am Without One Plea every time I hear it now, I still get like a little lump in my throat because it's like I went forward like it's a little fifth grader. I went forward to that song. I proceeded to say the salvation prayer literally like a hundred times because I was sure I didn't say it right um, and I wasn't saved, but that's another thing. But just as I am without one plea, what if I came, what if I'm just coming to him like that? So what I do now is I try to not clean myself up. I know that somebody said, wait a minute, what do you mean you don't clean yourself up? I come with where I'm at because there's nothing I can do to clean myself up. It's First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All our sins have been forgiven, so we, we, we stand in that forgiveness, but the cleanse in all unrighteousness sounds like what he did with Peter, right? when he washed his feet. Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet because no, we don't want you, Jesus, even now. No, let me get myself cleaned up before I come to you, Jesus. Jesus says, no. No, you have to let me do it. If you don't let me do it, you really have no part of me because that's what I do. That's why I came, Mike, or Peter. Well, then cleanse all of me. God, Jesus, cleanse me. Well, no, 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 Mike, you don't get it. The reason I can clean you like this and clean you up is because you've been totally cleansed. I've washed your sins white as snow, but as you walk in this earth, as you walk through life, as you work through your junk, your feet get dirty in this earth, in this world. Your feet get dirty, Mike. But guess what? You can't even clean your own feet. Because I'm faithful and just to clean your feet. what if God allows us he he never tempts anyone we want to get our theology straight but in a everyday little trial he gives us of lost keys wrong reservations political issues that drive us crazy or where we don't like the other people what if Financial things. What about future financial things? What about loneliness, where I'm despairing that I'll never find somebody? What about, could those little things be moments where he actually wants to come? And say, don't clean it up. Don't say, I know I shouldn't feel this way, because God never debates our feelings. Why are you feeling this way? What's going on? Let me clean you up. Let me help you. I don't think we understand how humble and how radically loving. When John said, "You know, he what is it? Defends our love? What was that? Um, what was the song? Um, your love it, me. Yeah, your love defends me. What if that's defends me for myself?" possible. In fact, I know that to be true. I'll tell this story again just for most of you have heard this before, but um, my wife, I have her permission because I've said this story a number of times, so she's good. My wife one day was having a bad day in how she felt about herself. And I kept trying, as her husband, to tell her, oh my gosh, you're beautiful, you're you know, whatever, you know, just, and that wasn't hitting the mark, nothing I could say, because then I, you know, I have to say that because I'm her husband, and you know, so I'm like sunk, I, I have no voice here. And she just keeps going, and I can't do anything, and I'm getting frustrated, and I swear, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this line. I looked at her, and was kind of angry, but I said, how dare you insult the woman I love? I got to tell you, you talk about winning brownie points, man. (laughs) It was like, thank you, Lord. Oh, my gosh, because it got through. So, fast forward like a day, probably. I'm down working on something, and I make some stupid mistake, and I'm down there saying, you idiot what you're the biggest loser i mean i'm just saying this to myself gosh what's wrong with you can you get anything right you know and i'm just going on and on and i swear i heard the lord come to me and said mike how dare you insult the person i made and i'm conforming in it to my image how dare you call that trash how dare you call that junk What if his love defends us from ourselves? <coughs> now corporate confession. Now this is again this is something sh- she just a real quick little line in the in this chapter but it struck me. I'm looking out at you And I don't see anybody so self-righteous out there who doesn't think they've sinned. If you're out there, we're going to try to help you, but but there's something really cool if we all would just slow down here for just a little bit, just slow down here and let whatever's there bubble up. Don't clean it up. Don't say, oh, I know I should. Just say, no, I did this, or I feel this, or this is where I'm at. What if we just came to him? And each one of us as individuals in our own little prayer closet right here, just take a moment to own our stuff and hold it up and say, I can't clean myself up, Lord. I need you to clean it up. You know what's really cool about that? And something that, because we're not a, what do you call it, a traditional church, you know, that has liturgy. We don't get to do that, but those, you know, and again, some of you grew up in liturgy and it lost its meaning and, and such, but sometimes there's some really valuable things. And one of the cool things about doing something like this is if we all come together and say, you know what? I just want Jesus to come and find me the lost coin in this area of my life or in this place or this thing I said or, you know, typically on any Sunday morning, if you came with another human being, you had an issue. The only way to avoid it is to come alone, to be honest with you. But usually if you come with somebody, you had an issue. Somebody's a late person. Somebody's an early person. Somebody's, you know, did this. Somebody did that. You know, it's like somebody's yelling at somebody. Uh, use that. It would be awesome if you had something like that because that's what we wanted to use right here, is stuff that's fresh. But let's just talk about this just to help us because I do know there's folks that struggle with this. Like, I don't think I, I, don't think I have anything to confess. So this week, anybody lose their faith as far as God's not going to show up? Anybody get angry? Even at yourself? How about anxiety or fear? Cousins of each other? Anybody get anxious? Anybody worry about future income? Medical insurance? Judging? If you are a political junkie, I care if you're liberal, conservative, or in the middle, you struggle with judging. And you do. Why? Because it's hard not to. When, if you're, usually you pick a side, and anybody on that opposite side we don't like. That's kind of judging, even though God loved those people that he sent his son for. And the Christ payment would pay their sins as it does mine. How about lack of compassion? Anybody see somebody in dire straits and said, you know what, they had that coming. Why don't they pull themselves up by the bootstraps? That's lack of compassion. Complaining and grumbling? Anybody got a job? (laughs) How about forgetting God? I mean, just literally... there's times in my life that you wouldn't even know I was a Christian if you knew my thoughts and how few God thoughts I had in a given day. How about self-loathing? usually follow, oh, I I wrote this down. That self-loathing. Here's what I've learned. I've read all this stuff going on sabbatical. I read all these heady things. And one of the things I learned is if you don't like yourself very much, if you have self-worth issues, did you know you can't stay there? And there's a reason why you believe those things. There's things that usually happen when you're younger and stuff, but you usually can't stay there. So you have to counterbalance it with pride. It it goes to my theory that pride is usually just a reaction. It's our human attempt. It's our attempt without the spirit to make ourselves better, feel better, because we can't live in the shame and low self-esteem. I know that's kind of heady, but I'm convinced of it now. Because I see it in my own life. I'm like, I'm a crazy person. One minute I hate myself, another minute I'm like, prideful and I'm like how does that work where I don't like myself and all of a sudden I'm prideful it's like because you can't stay there God's never, and so in our own hands with our own in our own way we we go to the area of pride to try to make ourselves feel better it's why judging's an issue if you're doing well at something you're more prone to judge others who aren't doing it it's the way it is um, because some reason in there we don't feel great about ourselves but we're doing something good, so we use that as a vehicle to make ourselves feel better because we don't, at our core, feel very good. So if you got that thing going on, that's something to take the Lord. And then just the big one, sin. But I'm going to say sin as a means of escape. If you're knowingly sinning and you know it's wrong, it's a form of escape. It is. It really is. This is all meant to come down to real life. It's amazing how we take our theology, and you know what? We can cope with, it. the bigger the issue, a lot of times we're better off because we, we cling to things. It's the, the ordinary, ordinariness, ordinariness, I don't know, whatever that means. Um, the ordinary life that it makes it really hard. I have sat many times in the presence of demons. I don't want you to freak, you know, some of you get like all stirred up when I say that stuff, but I've sat with people who have had manifesting demons. Can I tell you, other than the first time, when it's like, holy cow, my first time, the fear that, just truly, the first time I'm in, it happened right when I first started. Um, and I was meeting with this, this woman who was uh, demon controlled or demonized. And um, I was really nervous because I, you know, do you remember the sons of Sceva in Acts where they tried to cast out demons and the demons just beat the stuffing out of them? And I'm like, this is what's going to happen. You know, they're going to say, you know, I know Peter and I know Jesus, but I don't know you, Mike. "Ah, You You know, and I'm just like, oh, it's just going to be, you know, and I'm just like, so it's a little free. But then, as we got into it, I got to tell you, I, I realized I had nothing but Jesus. His name, his word, worship, prayer were so powerful that we would sit and there would be such confidence in that Jesus was going to show up and set different people, but for the sake, this woman free. Just total, I mean, literally just confident. Lose my keys, God's dead. <laughs> Excuse me? You, you, what? You, you sat in the presence and watched Jesus' word, and literally, you make a wrong reservation and, you know, go ahead and kill me now, Lord. I'm just, you know, what? You're not strong. Why is just ordinary life sometimes harder than the big things? so what we want to do is do this corporate confession and I'm going to do something even wackier in the book of common prayer which honestly I've glanced at before but typically it's in a tradition that has an, a, a religious authority standing up and pronouncing this blessing and at first I'm like well that's stupid you know we don't need that and then I'm like wait a minute we're the priesthood of believers, right? We're all priests. So why couldn't you say this to me sometime after I confess the sin, and why couldn't I say it to you when we have a time of confession? Why can't I say it today over all of us after our time of confession so that we can jointly be in confessing and then the blessing, because we should never confess our sins without giving the Lord the opportunity to take not only the sin away, but the guilt of sin away. And that we might That the Lord would have mercy on us and forgive us and strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. One of the craziest things is when we fail in the ordinary in the everyday life we Jesus is always there with love mercy and grace. He is always there. All confession is all confession is agreeing that we have sinned, but we're also we're flinging ourselves on love, mercy, and grace. And He's there, and He will never, never not do that. So let's I want, worship. I want you guys to come up, get settled, and I want you to join us. Like doing this, action. So come on up. By the way, blessings in Israel we're always pronounced, still are pronounced over the people. So it still happens. It's not. A, it's not a terrible thing. All right, and as they're getting settled, let's just let's just open ourselves up to whatever the Lord is coming. Whatever he is sweeping looking and he's looking for a heart. He's looking for you that's lost. He's looking for an area that's misplaced. He's looking for a belief that's not true. So Spirit, will you do your work that you are so wonderfully faithful to do? What area do you want us to hold up to you this morning? And Lord, would you allow every individual to have something. When you're ready, just as an act, just don't clean it up. Just hold it up to the Lord. Let him do the cleaning. Allow the Lord to wash your feet. Allow the Lord, allow the Spirit to take even the guilt of sin. Not just forgive you, but even takes the guilt of sin. It says in Psalm 51. There should be nothing left to beat yourself up with. we come to you broken people and you know that. And Lord, you still enjoy finding us, restoring us, saving us. You've already saved us from our sins, but sometimes you need to save us from ourselves. So Lord, we open up our lives even in the ordinary that we might experience You in everyday life, losing it in everyday life only activates your desire to find that which is lost. Let us be mindful of that. In your name, amen. Let me say this blessing. Let me get over here. Keep that, keep the song up there. All right. This is for me too, but let me just say it over you because we need to hear it verbally, what is true. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Let's sing a song about Jesus.